0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities and others in the car industry. I'm Randy Cardoon. Recently, I was fortunate enough to be asked to host the celebrity stage at the Classic Auto Show here in Los Angeles, getting to talk to some of the top car personalities you see on TV and you hear about because of their ability to build memorable vehicles. Now, these are the interviews you could have heard only if you were actually at the show already. I've posted interviews and audience questions involving Wayne Carini of Chasing Classic Cars, Steve Mole of Oakland, California's Mole Coachworks, Bogey Latiner, Rachel DeBarros of All Girls Garage, and Stacey David of Gears. This time, I share my conversation with Dave Kindig of Kindiga Designs and the Velocity TV show and Rides. Now, Dave is always a lot of fun, and coming up, you're going to hear Dave not only sing... Yes, Dave Singh. I don't think he's ever sung on his show before, has he? But we do solve a puzzle about 1958 Continentals. Are they Lincolns or are they not Lincolns, just Continentals? And of course, there's his brand new trailer, which includes now an observation deck. And it was done by another interview subject, someone who's been here on Talking About Cars before. So let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Dave Kindig. This is nice. How about this? You're back for another year. And you've got some cool cars to talk about. And before we get to the car, though, the biggest thing I remember in the past year, because I don't think you had this last year when we talked, is, ladies and gentlemen, take a look at that tractor-trailer rig. You see the box in the back? That's kind of like your catbird seat up there. What (laughs) is that, and how did that come about?
1: So that's uh, the new Condiget Design mothership. And actually, we teamed up with a good friend of ours, uh, Ralph, over at uh, RMD Garage, and uh, we had got rid of our old toter home and 48-foot and trailer and wanted something that was a lot more weight-capable as well as we could build it out and really have something that showed well, kind of showing off the quality of the stuff that we do and the lifestyle that we have certainly have wanted. And, uh, yeah, the new, the new rig is just absolutely awesome. We've got uh, the ultimate mother trucker, which is Kevin. Uh, he drives it. He straps the vehicles down because it's very important. If you're going to strap down... Uh, the quality of cars that we put in there. You want to make sure that whoever's strapping them down knows how much it costs to fix it if you mess it up. So he's uh, certainly the right driver for it. Uh, We got Kev Dog here this weekend with us. Uh, My lovely wife, Charity, which it's her birthday today. Uh, Happy birthday. Happy birthday, baby. And, of course, uh, Melanie, which is Kevin's girlfriend. They're uh, hard at work inside the rig and making sure that they're taking care of everybody for their swag purchases. So... Anyway, the uh, box on the top is the escape hatch, and there's actually a canopy that goes on that as well. We, of course, didn't need it uh, in here because of no sun directly on us, but that's where we can just go up and kind of chill out and hang out. Uh, The inside of the rig's all set up to be able to carry three cars. It's got a 12-foot lounge inside. Uh, Of course, air conditioning and heating both inside the uh, apparel store area as well as the lounge. And uh, and of course we've got all of the apparel, which is really well set up inside of there, thanks to Ralph and his gang over at uh, RMD. So we just we love it. It's awesome. So your wife's birthday's today. That's correct. You know,
0: I'm thinking we should sing Happy Birthday.
1: Do we really? Uh, you know what? How about we just wish her Happy Birthday? <laughs> it's just a little weird. What do you think? What do you think?
0: <laughs> sing? Okay. Oh, all right. You know, come on. After all, she won't know what it is because she's probably doing something else. <laughs> All right, you ready? A one and a two. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to
1: you. Happy, Happy birthday, dear. dear Charity. I love you, baby. Don't hold this against me. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you.
0: Very good. Hey.
1: <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's very, very good. You nice don't know you. how
0: much you just helped Dave score, okay? <laughs> All right. That's very good. So, speaking of charity, I understand one of the cars you were working on at one point was your
1: father-in-law's car. Yes, as a matter of fact, it's uh, actually here—the 1957 Corvette, which we debuted at the SEMA show in uh, the Borla Exhaust booth. And uh, uh, it was a great—it uh, was great to be 19 years into this and have so many great friends in the industry. Uh, Ken Lingenfelter, the guys over at Lingenfelter Performance, built us an an over-the-top motor. He says, "Dave, where do you want to be horsepower-wise?" I was like, "You know what? 400, 425 is plenty." Uh, he overshot it, but at, at uh, 670 horsepower, LS7 with LS3 heads, Borla injection, and uh, but the car just came out beautifully. We, like I say, we had so many great friends that helped us out with the project. That uh, Richard had been, you know, kind of my mentor. Uh, being with Charity now for 28 years, 26 years married this year. Uh, I watched him work in the in the backyard, and and uh, he was very uh, uh, he was very kind to not just let me use any of his power tools. He made me do everything the hard way to understand how to make things work. You know, and and growing up very poor, I had to make things work uh, without any kind of tools or guidance or anything. I watched other people, and that's how I learned to do all of the aspects of building cars that I learned. Uh, so you know, Richard had been always there for us in that car. We'd pull it out on the 4th of July every year, wash all of the cars, take all of the kids for rides, light off fireworks and have a barbecue and stuff. The cars would go back in the garage and we wouldn't touch them again until the next 4th of July. And for, you know, the last, I don't know, four or five years, we hadn't actually done any of that stuff because all of the kids are, you know, grandkids are all growing up and so there wasn't that same interest. And so unfortunately, the car just sat in his uh, garage out in the back and uh he had shipping blankets on it and like boxes of casters and and other stuff and it was like hey well
0: and this is utah this is not like in the back of california this is utah where it snows you have weather
1: yep yep so and and even now that the car's restored it will not go in the snow we'll keep that uh you know hidden away until it's nice outside but we're certainly excited for him to be able to drive it he just uh uh, retired. So the, the 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 cool thing of that car is that I did the designs up for him and I handed him this rendering for Christmas. And he goes, he looks at it and he says, well, that would be really cool. I said, no, it's going to be cool. So you just retired. We're going to have you down at the shop. We're going to bring your car in. I've ordered a chassis for you. And uh, we're going to have you down there. You're going to work with us on the car. And as a family, we're going to build you something that when you go to these car shows, you'll have something for yourself to drive. And uh, he's like, uh, okay, <laughs> so we uh we pre qualified him to work on his own car again in my shop, and uh, he did a fantastic job it was a great great project and and certainly kept uh you know the family together so to speak
0: no pressure, no added pressure being i mean it's not just a typical client it's your father in law
1: yeah so actually he 's not the difficult client uh the the mother in law uh she was uh <laughs> A little more dead set on restoring it, whereas, I get it, and I appreciate that stuff, but to be honest with you, that car is so much more fun to drive uh, the way that it is, so uh, she'll have to eventually get over it.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And you heard it here first. (laughs) Now, you also brought another car here. If you guys could have only seen what happened about 15 minutes ago, uh, Dennis Gage was in the back. He and Dave were in a very heated conversation, in a sense. not intense let's just say intense not heated but so they were talking about the blue lincoln over there maybelline
1: is it a lincoln or a continental see that was the thing we're (laughs) going
0: back and forth over so that's 1958
1: 1958 continental mark four correct mark 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 whatever you're right the point i guess was Did Lincoln Continental exist at the time, or was it a Continental by Lincoln-ish? There's a big confusion because there was no exact time frame that I can correlate back to that Continental was its own company. And then Lincoln, of course, was like a sister kind of a company, but it was a Continental or you had a Lincoln. You didn't have a Lincoln Continental. So later, obviously, later on, we all know that there was a Lincoln Continental, but as I understood in 1958, there was a Continental Mark whatever, and then there was the Lincoln uh, Premiere. So I think this is before that happened, or the year that it actually happened. But it, there's no Lincoln script on the outside of the car. There's one small badge on the dash that says Lincoln, but everything else said Continental. So
0: is that something you can look up by looking at the tags, or?
1: Well, there's a confusion because we actually have uh, 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 an owner's manual. And a booklet back then, and it showed you could get two different versions. And it was like the Continental was the higher line version. Kind of think of it as a Cadillac Escalade compared to the Chevy Tahoe LTZ. So there was like two different uh, families. So you could get the lower end model, which was still a pretty nice car, Lincoln, or you could get the high line model, which was the Continental. And wagering was involved. What's that? I'm sorry, was wagering involved? Yeah, so Supposedly, he's put his hand out and he's like, yeah, because Dennis agreed that it was a Lincoln Continental instead of agreeing with me. So and now, this is you and Kevin. <laughs> this is me and Kevin arguing back and forth again now uh, that it is a Lincoln Continental or is it a Continental whatever. So
0: who knows? All right, let's, let's just ask the audience. What do you think? Is that just a Lincoln? Anybody? Just a Lincoln? Anybody think? Or
1: is that... A Mark Five, Continental. Continental. Yeah. See.
0: See, we got. Most so it looks people like, like Kevin owes
1: me some money back. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, in the meanwhile, is back there going, "Wait a minute! I thought I won! Wait!" So yeah, there's there's a bit of confusion, but the car itself, uh, you it's know, amazing. regardless whether it's a, a Continental or a Lincoln, uh, it was kind of a cool uh, cool build. You know, we were, really took a car and I really like to get off the beaten path. I like to find something that's not built over and over and over again. Not that I don't appreciate those, but uh, when Tad Leach called me and he says, you know, we, we, we were planning to build a car for him, he wanted a 56 uh, Lincoln Premier convertible. And so I started looking, and he had found one back east, but I could already tell just from the pictures, and it looked like a restoration, an older restoration, and I could see a lot of rust and a lot of issues that were that were probably going to be pretty problematic that cost a lot of money before you can start customizing the car. Now, 56. 56 is completely different from this one. And part. it almost it's, looks like the front end of the Batmobile, in a sense. Exactly. That's that's really yeah. reminiscent. It's got kind of a hard arch that goes down to the grill line, which mm-hmm. is very unique for that, and that's the reason that he liked that. And so I said, let me see if I can find one on the west side of the planet that we know this is not going to be just completely rotted out before we go to customizing. And he says, okay. So I called a good friend of mine, Ardell Brown, which is a big collector of big museum-styled cars and, and uh, you know, that, that style of vehicle. And I called him up and I said, hey, do you have a 56 Lincoln Premier Convertible? He says, no, Dave, but I just bought a 58. And so I g- pulled up the pictures while I was on the phone with him uh, uh, on my uh, laptop, and, and I was like, that's completely different, but it's cool. And I was like, you know what? Let me... Let me just put this in front of Tad and see what he thinks. So I called Tad back and I said, is there a specific connection that you have with a 56 Lincoln? And he says, no. He says, I just want something that's different from everybody else's stuff. I said, well, check out this 58. He goes, Dave, that's an ugly car. But it's kind of cool. And he kept looking around. And he goes, I hate the tail light panel. I said, me too, but we can fix that. He goes, what would you do with this? I said, let me throw some renderings together and I'll have something over and just quick sketches and within the next couple hours. And I sketched it out real quick. And really, very quickly, I was like, I want to make a hot rod out of this. So I got rid of the skirts in the back, and that was one of the first ideas that we had was to get rid of the skirts, open up the wheel wells, and then later on, looking at the cool lines that we, you know, after we bought the car, I started looking at the front fenders, and it has that big concave section around the wheel well. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was telling myself, you know what? This would be pretty cool to get another set of these or just create something that looks like this on the rear quarter panel. And uh, we ended up buying another set of front fenders off of a car that was down in uh, Arizona, And uh, uh, Chris Elmer, one of our master fabricators, cut it into like 12 pieces. We designed it. And then he re-rolled it, put the quarter panel back on the car. And that's what we created was basically that really cool reveal. So if you look at the side profile, the top of the front fender section basically lines right out with the rears. And it looks like that's the way they would have built that car with no skirts back in 1958.
0: And you can look at it if you just turn to your left there. It's right there in the blue with the black top. Uh, It is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing.
1: And, of course, uh, we started then also looking for a different styled power plant. And something that Tad had had in mind was actually doing a uh, LS-based V16. Now, they only had a couple of concept engines that they had built back in Detroit for auto shows or whatever. And so we started looking at that, and uh, I actually made a phone call, and I found out how much they wanted to build one of those and about how long it would take. It Uh was ridiculous. And uh, so we went back to the drawing board and he did a little bit more re- uh, research and he found Ryan Faulkner down in Arizona, uh, Faulkner Racing Engines, and basically that V12 all aluminum 600 cubic inch uh, engine is built for the P-51 Mustang replica airplanes that they do as well as some vintage uh, teak boats and, and that. That's what he had actually started building those. He casts his own blocks, his own heads, makes his own cranks, cams, all of that stuff. So Long story short, we started talking, and I was like, you know, we'd like to do something with a little bit more power. And he goes, why don't we do a supercharger, a twin supercharger setup? And I was like, if it'll fit on the top, I think that'd be awesome. So Ryan actually fabricated a lot of this stuff on the top of that. In fact, they don't make a shaft that'll run both of those superchargers in line. And when he talked to Magnus and they said it can't be done, he says, never mind, I got it. And uh, the car just is amazing. Fuel injected, twin uh, superchargers. It puts out on the dyno 940 horsepower at the crank and 1,040 foot-pounds of torque on pump gas. Yikes. So let me get this straight. You have a P51 Mustang engine in that? In a nutshell, I think Jay Leno's got one of those in a hot rod. Uh, Steve Moll, I believe, did one uh, with Ryan Faulkner at some point. I'm not sure which car that one went in. I think Chip's done one. And so, theres I mean, there's a handful of those out there in, in vehicles, but maybe not a vehicle quite like that. <laughs>
0: so that has so much horsepower. That's more than a demon. Yes. Is, that, is there kind of an unofficial race with designers, do you think, to
1: get engines with more and more horsepower you know if there is i don't think i've been involved in that race because the way i look at it is i like to build something that is what we call a show driver something that you can take to shows when you know indoor shows with the lights and mirrors and all the the cool fantasy look of that vehicle and something that I grew up around. But equally as important, if not more important, is to be able to get in the car and drive it. And sometimes I feel that if you have too much horsepower, it makes it a lot more difficult to drive and, and a lot less comfortable and uh, reliable. Mm-hmm. So, and we've certainly put our foot into some multiple, hor- you know, thousand horsepower plus. And uh, as soon as you start to do that, I think it will, you take a little bit of the drivability away from it.
0: So I just had a visual. That car. At a drag
1: strip, against a Tesla. That car would be in the parking lot long before. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the Tesla would smoke it. I'll tell you what. Uh, I've been in some pretty fast cars before, and and certainly I'm intrigued on this electrical thing. But I, I like the sound of uh, you know raw horsepower, a little smell of fuel, and you know. Well, I remember. The meat
0: of it. I remember we had a chance to interview on talking about cars, George Barris, before he passed away, and one of the things he was working on was kind of an electric version of a 32 Ford. Mm-hmm. And has there ever been a car you would want to turn into an electric vehicle that someday would, you could put the Kindig brand or label on it?
1: Well, uh, so we're filming season five right now. Stick around for season six. Uh, you'll see something that's kind of a cool mix between uh, I, can't, I can't ruin it. So just imagine a really cool sled that you can't hear come up on you. I'm just going to leave it there. And we never talked about this coming in. We just brought this up. I didn't
0: come You didn't say, hey, don't forget to mention this thing. No.
1: Thanks for making me feel uncomfortable.
0: I'm (laughs) I'm totally kidding.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. When does the next season start? Uh, We'll be filming all year long, and uh, uh, our next season will kick off. Usually it kicks off late September, early October, just depending on where the uh, Velocity Channel wants to put us uh, kicking out. So. Wow. Yeah, but we'll have, uh, I think we're doing 14, maybe 16 uh, episodes for this next season. So,
0: If any of you guys have questions for Dave, uh, raise your hand. Melanie's right there with the microphone. She can uh, come on over, and uh, you could ask a question. Go ahead. Uh, Jerry Taylor from Las Vegas. Uh, the GM Future Liner, how long did that take you?
1: Well, that was a, that was a pretty big project. We actually uh, worked on that for 19 months which is pretty quick for that style of or that size of project. Uh, in comparison, uh, let's, just, let's put it this way. The Copper Caddy, for instance, right around 6,000 hours to build. That's, that's a pretty intense project. This Future Liner was over 37,000 hours. There was anywhere from 5 to 12 guys working on it. Took up uh, uh, five hot rod stalls, I guess. We had to build basically a room around it. Uh, for, you know, welding and grinding and making all of the mess that we were. So we built a, few, a, a full uh, air evacuation system above it and uh, sucked it into the next room and then was filtered there. And, and uh, so it was a pretty intense project. We were really excited to get the opportunity to build that thing. And we were even more excited when it uh, was no longer on my floor so <laughs> we could have some room for some hot rods again. But it was, a, it was a great experience, uh, a lot of work, but it came out really, really nice, we think. And so. a
0: lot of people will say, 37,000 hours. What is that worth? And you'll say... I'll never tell. Believe me, I've asked a lot. <laughs> a lot
1: of different cars. What are, what, what, how much is this? How much is that? I've always thought that uh, it was classier to not tell somebody uh, how much something costs because maybe the owner doesn't want somebody to know or everybody to know and uh and it leaves the uh, mystery in in the uh in the in the air so any other questions yes go ahead will you build build me a 55 chevy tesla <laughs> self driving <laughs> well you know i would love to i'll i'll do whatever you want it's your money so How would you do
0: that? Would you, like, take a 55 Chevy body and drop it on a Tesla, or what would you do?
1: Well, uh, again, stick around for season six, and you'll see.
0: (laughs) Note to Randy, Mr. Obvious. Okay, I think I know where we're going here. You're going to want to see his uh, show this season. So the thing that's really cool, and, and you mentioned it, is you do offbeat vehicles. There's not many people I've seen doing the 52 Pontiac. There's not many people doing the 60 Invicta, the Buick Invicta, uh, which you had at SEMA last year.
1: Yeah, we had it there SEMA last year, and then it was there two years previous to that, the first year that we finished it. So
0: where did those vehicles come from? I mean, why those vehicles did you pick?
1: Well, actually, it's the it's the vehicle that my client had picked, and uh, so you know a lot of times if somebody if we if we're getting ready to build a car and there's a bit of a waiting list, so we have a little bit of time to find the right car to start with. And, uh, and as that happens, basically, I'll try and find the car. I'll try and find a better car, spend a little bit more money on better sheet metal, and then usually shave a lot of extra time and, and money for the client off of the end because we spent a little bit more money to get a much better car that we didn't have to do a lot of restoration before we could start the customizing. So we try and streamline that, and obviously my, my goal is never to see how much money I can get out of somebody. My goal is to be able to, you know, build their dream car and, and you know, make them happy without taking up the entire time that I, my career will last to build one car so
0: what's in dave Kindig's garage that maybe wasn't there a few years ago what's new that you have vehicle wise
1: oh you know i've actually got some pretty cool projects uh for myself that i'm gonna hopefully find some time to do i've got a 68 camaro that it's kind of hard to build a camaro that not everybody has already built so we're gonna I'm gonna get back to some stuff, actually, and there, and uh, my uh, my wife, my lovely wife, she uh, she says, Dave, you know what? We're building really cool cars and everything, but they're, you know, it's not like we're building the same thing. But we're so used to seeing the stuff, you know. You walk up on a Condigate design car and you might be blown away, but we built it, so it's like, you know, we got beautiful kids, but we're used to them, so we don't think that much of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, just kidding. My kids aren't here, so they didn't. They're not gonna sue me. But um. <laughs> You know, what we what we want to do is build something that's a little bit more over the top. You know, we'd like to build something that people remember. You're not going to confuse it with who built the car. And so I think we're going to play around a little bit more with some of the stuff that I was more passionate about as a kid. And that is really getting nuts on a car. You know, doing something that's a fantasy Hot Wheels style. Something that just blows your mind. You look at it. And, you know, not to say that the Continental doesn't do that. But I think that if you can imagine just the most cartooned out, pinched nose, changing some of the shapes of the body and i've got it already in my mind but i haven't actually drawn the car but it'll be pretty radical i just got a 68 ford econoline van uh, a shorty van that was actually at gene winfield's forever in fact the license plate it's a 68 mind you the license plate the last time it was registered was 1970 and it was a cable repair truck no kidding and uh, so the patina on it, is just, it's going to be awesome. We're going to chop the top. We're bringing back that kind of disco custom band from the 70s. Uh, we'll give it my twist, but it's going to be something pretty radical. And, of course, Kevin says he'll only work on it if we set it right on the ground. So it'll be right on the ground because I need his help. Um, I've got, a, I don't know, I've got other things in mind that I'd like to, to play around with. You mentioned Hot
0: Wheels. Now, I know somebody made a Diora. Remember the Diora? Yes, so if you were given the challenge of taking any hot wheel and making any hot wheel into a real car what would it be
1: well some of the ones that stand out the most to me i think uh have already been done the twin mill i mean that's a pretty hard one to uh to escape and uh i think that the Diora, the Diora 2 i mean those have been built i i don't know i think i would actually just kind of play along in those same theme and same kind of ideas but actually, do my own version of what would have been cool to, when I was a kid growing up to have them. Just, you know, which
0: one was your favorite growing up?
1: You know, I had, uh, man, I had a lot of them. I I remember the uh, the little Chevy van that was black with flames on it. I, mean, I had a lot of the little thirty twos. I remember. Uh, I mean, there's so many Hot Wheels. It's it's yeah, it's about impossible to to pick my favorite. So constantly trading them with my cousins and and uh, just having fun with them, customizing them, painting them with model paints. And
0: How many cars do you have in your personal collection, and which are your favorites?
1: Well, uh, I'm a flavor of the month kind of guy. So uh, one of the newest ones in my collection, I guess, would be the Family Affair 57 uh, Corvette. Um, last year when I uh, sold the 65 uh, Volkswagen bus at Barrett Jackson, we set the world record at 302500 which I will, it's, it's known uh, money numbers so I'll just go ahead and say that uh paid off my investment and bought my uh first Ferrari uh which is a 458 Italia which I just love the car because I actually I don't blow kisses at it i actually tracked the car and uh scared myself pretty good but it's a it's a very capable car so I, I quite like that where
0: in Utah do you take
1: that to, to let it out so, uh, the Miller, uh, Miller Motorsport Campus was sold, and now it's the Utah Motorsport Campus. It's a 4.6-mile road course. Uh, it's uh, one, of the, one of the most sought-after newest tracks in the, in the nation. It's a, it's a fabulous track. And so, we take it out there in Tooele. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been out there many times with Ford Racing School and, and got some experience, uh, you know, where to find my lines and how to, you know, actually drive a race car. And so, uh, yeah, I had a great time with that. I think that you know I'm always a flavor of the month, as I said, uh, kind of guy, and I think my next favorite's probably going to be this uh, the, the Ford van I'm just going to cool. have some
0: fun with it.: Especially you're going to keep the patina, which means you're going to keep the original signage, right?
1: No, I'm not, oh, okay. I'm not keeping any of the original patina. Um, you know I have an appreciation for all styles of cars, and, I, and, I, and I've always said there's an ass for every seat, but uh, I you know I love like the nostalgic period correct, or rat rods, as some people would call them. But I like them shiny. I like, I like you know, the, the, the cool art piece that it is, but finishing the car, you know. And of, and, of course, I don't dislike the other ones. It's just that's the way I kind of prefer a car. Is it's got a great silhouette. Why not finish the car? And one more question, anybody? Yeah, go ahead. Just scream it out. When am I going to open a shop in Southern California? You know what? Um, with uh, 36 employees right now plus the upholstery shop, 27,000 square feet, the, the equipment... Uh, you know, all of that stuff. Obviously, there's a huge cost involved in all that stuff. But more importantly to me is to be able to have control of logistics, quality, and time frame. And when you spread yourself too thin, uh, I've been asked to put something back east to I, to be honest with you, I have no interest whatsoever because I design all aspects by hand rendering these and to build 16 to 22 cars at any given time uh, at the same time. Uh, It's almost impossible to be able to spend the time to concentrate on the design and, you know, communication with the client, making sure that they're happy and that I'm building their dream car. So I think if you uh, stretch yourself out too far or, you know, you hire another designer, is that still a can design car if I didn't design it? so. I guess I'm selfish in that way. I love to be able to communicate uh, personally with the people that I'm building a car for, and create something with their design uh, ideas, mine including into it. Uh, understanding what their taste is, and then adding my taste to it, so that we don't um, build something that nobody gets. So I think that it's it's a fine balance, and I think if you do too much, then then it's it's a, it's a bad deal for biz. So.
0: And isn't isn't it something about you see all these shows on Velocity and there's a show in North Carolina, there's your show in Utah, there are other guys that are in Florida and California. But if you all came to California, would it be the same show? It's almost like when you're in different locations, it's different. There's a different vibe to it.
1: Well, you know, if you uh if you travel to the US and you look at car shows all over the place, not you know, uh Outdoor shows, indoor shows, any of that stuff. The cars change considerably when you start at the West Coast and you move to the East Coast. The cars, the styling, the themes, the uh, you know, not not necessarily the quality, but definitely the styles. They are quite different from East Coast to West Coast. And uh, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that one's better than the other. Uh, Mid Coast, you know, Utah, I think is a pretty good style, but, but, uh, (laughs) kidding. Get the shirts. I'm, t- I'm totally kidding. But my I guess I guess what it is is, like I've always said, there's an ask for every seat. And I think that if everybody built the exact same car, it would be like going into an art gallery and it's all Rembrandt. And, and pretty soon you would see the same style of things, different faces on the canvases or different shapes and colors, but it's all kind of the same. And if everybody built their car the exact same, you lose all of the reason in the first place to do a car, and that's for individuality That's why you do it. You want that to be a, an extension of your personality and, and people to admire it and something to talk about. And you get to admire other people's take on things. And that's why I, when I go to a car show, I really do enjoy going and looking at other cars. I'm not looking at them to pick them apart. I'm looking at how much time and effort went into a car to create that and to have it different and make it stand out and color use and everything else. I pay a lot of attention to that. And some of the, I have to tell you, this morning just going over the low riders cuz the colors you know when we were setting up yesterday i was like let's get this done i want to check out these low riders we, we kevin and i are huge into that amount of work that goes into those cars in particular try try being a judge and picking one of those yeah. trust me uh, oh, i'm gonna have to see you. my therapist later on but <laughs> <laughs> but when you see that different take not necessarily is it something that everybody wants but when you see somebody's vision of what their car is and how much work and love they went into it and they, they're so passionate about it when they talk about it, that's what this car community is all about. That's what makes this so special and so much fun. We could all be sitting here at a dental uh, convention and how much fun would that be, you know? Did you see that guy's snaggletooth? <laughs> that's one of the biggest ones I've ever seen. That's amazing. Let's go get a picture with him.
0: Dave Kindig of Bitchin' Rides. Now, Back to the subject of his 1958 Continental called Maybelline. Is it a Lincoln or is it not? So after I did that interview at the Classic Auto Show, I went on Twitter and spoke with James Ayers. He happened to be the Western director of the Lincoln and Continental Club that put on a pretty good display. In fact, you could still see the video that's currently running on uh, our Talking About Cars Twitter page. Anyway, I asked him to explain the whole, is it a Lincoln or is it a Continental question? Mark
2: II, the 56 Continental, that was its own division.
0: Okay, what happened for the Mark III in 58? 58... They went along with a
2: Mark III, and 59 was a Mark IV, 60 Mark V. Then, it's like they kind of wanted to forget about that era. Kind
0: of like the how Dallas ended.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: when, when, when the guy showed up in the shower again, and he really yeah. didn't die,
2: right? Right. So okay. then, uh, 69 comes along, and we have the 69 uh, Mark III. Then we have, for 70, and 71
0: was... The Mark III. Then we go into the Mark IV. Okay, so the Lincoln, in for Mark three, four, and five, and 58, 59, and 60, were they Lincoln Continentals, or were they just Continentals? Well, 58 was kind
2: of the change over year. So, let me get this straight. Yeah, it's okay. What? They were Lincoln Continentals. Okay. But it, halfway through, they kind of... Changed that you know the continental division was dropped and was and that in 58 so it was kind of like mid-year they were, it was a transition period in 58 and 58 okay so after that we everything. still had the it was Lincoln Continentals
0: it's okay so going, so I just want to make sure this so just make sure I understand what you're saying in 1958, Lincoln and Continental were two separate divisions to start the year, correct?
2: Start the year, pretty much. But the, this Continental, the, the Mark Threes, the Lincoln Continentals were built as Lincoln's, not under the Continental division.
0: Okay, so 58, 59, and 60 were all Lincoln's, Lincoln Continentals. Lincoln Continentals and Continental, and Continental was separate. So the only marks that were really well, Continental
2: didn't exist. Uh, they completely got rid of the Continental division in In 58.
0: 58. I see. So the only mark that had separate Continental and Lincoln divisions was the Mark II in
2: 56, 57? 56 and 57, Continental was its own division. And that was the only time when you cannot call a Mark II a Lincoln.
0: Nothing to do with Lincoln. James Ayers of the Lincoln and Continental Club. Bottom line, the only time Continental was not a Lincoln was the Mark II in 1956 and 1957. Continental was then made by Lincoln in 1958, the Mark Threes, and while most of those cars had Continental badging only, they are considered Lincolns. Now, if I can only remember who wagered on what with Dave and Kevdog, I don't remember. In future weeks, you got to check out our interviews with Horny Mike and Kevin Mack from Counts Customs from the Classic Auto Show, which, by the way, did you hear? It's coming to Chicago the weekend of September 8th and 9th. Go to ClassicAutoShow.com for more information if you're in the Chicagoland area. Thanks for listening, everybody, and please share our show on social media. Subscribe and leave a comment, and if you're on iTunes, make sure you rate us and review us, and thanks in advance for helping our podcast grow. Our website is talking about cars.net. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.